Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dairy Free State, where we talk about the intersection between food and health. And when I'm talking about health, it's not just the physical, but we're talking about emotional, spiritual health, any any way that that intersects. And today we are talking to Dr. Elizabeth Yarnell. Nice to talk to you tonight, Elizabeth. How are you doing? Hi, Sammy. I'm so excited to be talking to your audience. Okay, awesome. So to start, um, just let me know about your diet, the way that you're eating, how long you've been eating that way, and uh, what made you decide to go with that diet. Absolutely. So I have been working on my diet for just over 20 years now, about 20, almost 21 years. And um, I eat a very... I'm going to say I follow it pretty strictly, but there's no guiding points that I can offer to anybody else except for that I really focus on staying away from processed foods and from additives and preservatives and artificial ingredients that are in our food supply. So would you would you say that you identify with like whole food or plant-based or anything like that? Or how would you categorize it? Um, It's definitely a whole foods-based diet. And I've been following a whole foods-based diet since 1999. And one of my mantras is whole foods are better than processed foods. Um, In fact, I even invented and patented a cooking method for cooking whole foods really quickly and easily, and then wrote wrote it up and introduced it in a cookbook. So I'm all about whole foods for sure, but there's more to it than that. And um, the whole foods part is definitely a great place to start if you are living off a diet of processed foods and um, eating at restaurants and and fast food places and things out of bags and packages, then yes, a whole foods-based diet is a great place to start. And my cookbook, which is called Glorious One Pot Meals, a new quick and healthy approach to Dutch oven cooking is a great way to make cooking whole foods really super easy, quick, and simple. Okay, so tell me more about, um, so you patented like a specific method? I want to know more about that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I didn't even know you could patent a method, but yes, you you can patent a process. So I have a process patent on this. Okay, so can you explain the so you said it's Dutch oven cooking. Um, so what sets it apart from what people might otherwise do, like in a one pot type of cooking method? So all of my recipes use a cast iron Dutch oven, and typically, if you're using a cast iron Dutch oven, you might be sauteing or braising on the stovetop, and then you might be adding some like root vegetables or maybe a piece of meat or something and putting it possibly into the stove or just really even slow cooking it for some time, several hours on top of the stove. What I do with my cast iron Dutch oven is I layer the foods in there in a specific order. And each recipe is really designed to be a complete meal, complete with carbohydrates and proteins and veggies and tons and tons of flavor. And it's the order of the layering that I have the patent on. And then you put the oh. lid on it, and then you put it into a super, super hot oven, 450 degrees, and it flash cooks. 
at in less than an hour. I call this infusion cooking. Interesting. Okay, that's cool. I've never heard of that, but it makes sense. Um, so that's what why got I got you... a patent because it yeah. hasn't been done before. <laughs> there you go. So, like, what made you? What made you even think of that in the first place? Was it something that you were just messing around with, and then you started talking to people about it, and they were like, "Oh, I've never thought about doing that," or you know, like how? How do you even get into something like that in the first place? So we have to go back just a little bit further, a couple of months before this, when one night I went to sleep as usual in my apartment and I woke up the next morning blind in my right eye and I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. It was two weeks before my 30th birthday and I learned that 80% of MS patients experience significant disability within 10 years of diagnosis. So here I was about to turn 30 and learning that by the time I turned 40, I'd probably be in a wheelchair. So that was a huge freak out. And all of my MS doctors really told me, you know, there's nothing you can do to affect the course of this disease. We don't know why it happens and we don't know how to solve it. And I went home and I thought, well, I can't just sit around and wait for my body to just disintegrate on me. That's not the way I want to live my life. And I want my future to be better than this. Really, I'm the person it affects the most. So I really need to figure out what I can do to improve my chances. And it was my then fiance, now my husband of 20 some years, who suggested that maybe my diet had something to do with it. And I had to admit, he might have had a point because at this moment, I had been a single girl living on my own in my own apartment for 10 years. And really, my staple foods that I kept around were Diet Coke, Crystal Light, and gummy bears. Well, that, yeah, that might have something to do with it, huh? <laughs> you know, you might think, but nobody, yeah. you know, it had never occurred to me before. And it can take a, wa- a lot of assault sometimes to break down a body to where you tip over into autoimmunity. But mm-hmm. so I thought, you know, he has a point, but I didn't know what a healthy diet was. So I started studying through the ADA and the Mayo Clinic and all sorts of respected Um, resources. And really from all of those resources is where I synthesized all the information to really come down to my motto was that whole foods are better than processed foods. But the problem was, is that whole foods are really hard to, to cook all the time and from scratch. And it takes a lot of effort and fatigue. um, And that's a hallmark of MS. So I didn't really have a lot of energy to spare, but I started taking cooking classes and watching the food network and the more I learned, the more excited I got about cooking foods and and how good foods can taste when you cook from scratch and use all whole whole foods. But the cleanup was killing me. So one night, my husband and I were watching a late night infomercial. These were in the days before we had cable TV. So you might not be old enough to remember when we (laughs) only had four channels. But um, (laughs) this uh, infomercial comes on and the guy says, look, I can make your whole meal in this one countertop appliance. And he puts in dry rice and a can of tomatoes. And then he puts a metal grill, like a grate over the top, almost like a barbecue grill type grate. Yeah. And and then he puts chicken breasts on top of that. And then another metal grate. And then brownies on the top. He covers the whole thing in this dome, plugs it in, turns it on. And I thought, wow, that is brilliant. I want to make my whole meal in just one pot too, but I don't have that countertop appliance. I don't have any of those metal grates, and I don't really care about the brownies. 
So I went over to my stove and I thought, you know, I bet that appliance he's using probably gets pretty hot. And so I turned my oven up to 450 degrees. Again, I didn't really know how to cook. I was literally like watching the Food Network. And um, and then I we had just received a cast iron Dutch oven as a wedding gift. And I didn't really even know what to do with it when we received it. But <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm going to grab this cast iron Dutch oven and I'm going to kind of do what that guy did on the infomercial. And I'm going to put in, I, I had some frozen fish fillets in the freezer. I had some fresh vegetables and some herbs from my garden. And I just layered them in, put the lid on the cast iron Dutch oven and put it into the super hot oven. In about half an hour, it just started to smell like dinner. So if I had known the rules of cooking, like you only cook breads or pizzas or cakes maybe at 450 degrees, you never cook fish at 450 degrees. But I didn't know any better. And so it just kind of became the default way that we cooked. And we didn't really even think about it that much until my college roommate came to visit. And at the end of the week, she asked me to teach her how to cook like I cooked. And I said to her, I'm like, you've seen me do this. I literally just throw everything into the cast iron Dutch oven and throw it in the oven. And she said, no, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. And so I sat down and I wrote out a, a cookbook, basically an instruction manual. And I spent five years trying to find an agent and a publisher to publish it. And they all came back to me with the same response. It said, this is a really great manuscript, but no one's going to buy a cookbook from a nobody. You." Yeah. You're, you don't work at a restaurant or own a restaurant like Wolfgang Puck. You're not Martha Stewart with a bunch of whole empire underneath you. You're not even Rachel Ray with a TV show. And I thought, but the thing is, how can I become somebody who's known without having a cookbook? It felt right. like this terrible yeah. catch-22. And I had been building an audience. I had been performing cooking demonstrations at health fairs and really anywhere I could. I'd been teaching cooking classes at a local cooking school. And um, I had a mailing list and a website, but I couldn't get anyone to publish my cookbook. And so in 2005, I decided to go ahead and self-publish. And it turned out to be the best decision I could have made because in the first month, I sold out of my entire print run of 2,000 books. I won a bunch of awards. I got a bunch of press. I was on the local bestsellers list for several months. And after I sold 15,000 books, I sold my book to Random House, and they republished it in 2009, and now we've sold more than 60,000 copies. That is awesome. It's pretty so, cool because yeah. especially now, now it's the, the, you know, the whole quarantine and the limited um, mobility that we all have because my cookbook makes it really super easy to pull things right out of the freezer or the pantry and create delicious whole foods-based meals without any fresh foods. Yeah, we are all using our kitchens more these days, for sure. Um, I know I am, at least. And yeah, so what did you do? Did you, um, what did you do to thank whoever gave you that uh, cast iron Dutch oven? <laughs> <laughs> She's definitely mentioned in the cookbook in the nice. acknowledgments. <laughs> cool. I was like, yeah, you might, as long as she got a thank you, because that, that is some life-changing stuff. I mean, isn't it, I always think it's really interesting, those, those little moments that when you look back, you're like, whoa, that really changed everything. I don't know, you know, what would have happened if, if that one small thing didn't happen in my life. You're right. I could just say best wedding gift ever. Yeah. Best wedding gift ever. So, um, 
So besides having a cookbook, you're a naturopath, right? I am. I'm a board-certified naturopath. So tell me more about that, too. So my focus and my specialty is helping people with multiple sclerosis and other autoimmune or chronic inflammatory issues, because this all came out of me trying to help myself have a better future. And once I started learning about the way that what we eat affects how we feel and how we function... I became so fascinated about it. I really couldn't stop learning. I got certification after certification and eventually had so many courses under my belt that I got my doctorate. And when I got my doctorate, I decided what I really wanted to do was to focus on helping people very specifically create these customized, personalized anti-inflammatory lives to help them remove the inflammation from their bodies and Um, have a better future for themselves, just like I do and I did with my MS. So what kind of, um, when you're helping people, what kind of issues uh, do you run into that that they're having? Uh, Like what kind of patterns do you see with, with some of the things that they're trying to overcome? So when I, the first thing I do when I meet with a potential new patient is we have a a very extensive assessment where we talk about all of your problems now, all of your symptoms, and your whole health history. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for those signs of inflammation. Because in my research and in my clinical practice, I have found that it matters less what diagnosis you might have received or where that inflammation is manifesting in your body, and more that there's inflammation at the root cause of your problems. Because if it's inflammation, I can address that inflammation. And it doesn't matter if it's called MS or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or migraines. It doesn't really matter if it's inflammation. That's what I look for. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so outside of that, um, what kind of what kind of things do you do to start to intervene on that? I mean, obviously diet, but uh, I'm guessing that there's other things that you look at as well. I do. And I basically have a three-pronged approach. So I am very, very scientifically based with my practice. And so I use a highly sophisticated state-of-the-art blood test called the MRT, the Mediator Release Test which is really the gold standard when it comes to food sensitivity testing. And I use that to really show me exactly what somebody should or should not be eating. And so that's, again, a single blood draw. And when those results come back to both myself and the patient, we have a two-hour session over Zoom or on the telephone where we extensively review all of the test results. We cross-correlate botanical food families And then together, we identify the very least inflammatory foods for you to be eating. So instead of saying, oh, you know what, A, B, and C came up high on the test, and I think you should just go home and avoid those things. And that person gets home and they think, oh my gosh, A, B, and C, that's that's all I eat. What what am I supposed to be eating now? Yeah. And then they try to flail around and try to guess what they should uh, substitute that with. But instead, we look at the test results and say, you know what, X, Y, and Z, these are the least inflammatory foods for you and your body. So we're going to craft a dietary plan based around these least inflammatory foods. And that's usually about 40 foods. And that helps move the inflammation out of that person's body so rapidly. It's really amazing. So within two weeks, people feel distinctly different. 
Now, I've got a question for you. This is like more of personal curiosity, but I'm mm-hmm. sure if I'm wondering it, other people are too. Uh, <laughs> what kind of, are, is there a relationship between like foods that cause inflammation and foods like that are maybe not conducive to gut health or like foods that don't agree with your gut? Um, because I've been focused a lot on my gut health lately, and I'm just wondering what kind of connection there is between that and inflammation, if anything. So, yes, basically any symptom that is negative in your body is a sign of inflammation. So if you are saying that when you eat some things, you get a stomach ache, or you have diarrhea or constipation or bloating or gas or acid reflux, all of those things are signs of inflammation. So whenever I give a talk, I like to really talk about what, how does inflammation manifest in the body? It can manifest visibly, such as when my ankle swelled up when I twisted it in a jazzercise class, and that was very visible inflammation. And you can say, yeah, I can see that swollen. But we have a hidden inflammation that's not visible all over our body. So inflammation in the head, we might call a headache or a migraine. Inflammation in the sinuses, we might call chronic sinusitis or um, sinus infections or even just a stuffy or runny nose all the time. Um, Inflammation in our lungs, we might call asthma, or in our heart, we might call COPD. Um, Inflammation in our joints, we might call rheumatoid arthritis, and in our muscles, we might call fibromyalgia. Um, Inflammation in our bowels, we might call constipation. Um, There's pretty much any symptom that you can think of that's a negative sign in your body is a sign of inflammation. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, that's what I was curious about. That's, that's kind of the way that I've thought about it as well, but I couldn't put that to (laughs) put that to words. Now (laughs) I'm guessing that a lot of people that you work with have probably, um, been through quite a few visits to the doctor and quite a few, you know, maybe diagnoses, um, you know, I'm trying to remember the exact statistic that I heard recently, but um, I know in the past I've heard, you know, it takes an average of five years if you've got a chronic health condition to get some kind of a solid diagnosis. And sometimes it just takes a while to even get someone to take you seriously and just hear that you've got something going on and and understand that it's real. Um, so would you say that a lot of the, you know, the patients that you get are in that kind of a boat or do they come to you early or do you kind of get a mix? I get a little bit of a mix, but I would say the great majority of my patients are in that boat. They have been to every doctor. They have a folder that's stacked full of medical reports. (laughs) Yeah. They might have a myriad of diagnoses or maybe have been called unexplainable or even worse. They might've been completely dismissed by their doctors and said, it's all in your head. Yes. And I've got I've had a combination of those things happen to me. So <laughs> yes, and yeah. wow, I find that it's such a I'm going to say it happens more often with women than with men, and it's so misogynist. So and it drives me crazy. It just makes me so angry at these doctors, and I don't blame them. They're doing the best they can for what they know with their knowledge base. But right. when they find something that they can't they can't explain or they can't identify readily, they're so quick to write it off as, as psychosomatic. 
Yeah, like I just don't I don't see it. It's not showing up on a test. Right. So you must just be stressed. Yeah. So why don't you just like <laughs> take some deep breaths. Take a bath. <laughs> get out of my office. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um, but why do I have pain all over my body? All right, well, okay, bye. All right. Um, right, right. <laughs> well, and you only have like five minutes, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the tricky thing too. I think it's been interesting um, where I live uh, in one of the health systems near me, uh, they've started an integrative health department and uh, the the appointments that you get can be 90 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, which is just unheard of. So that's been that's been kind of an, a newer development. And it's and it's nice to see that trend because it is just so I mean, it's hard, especially like going outside of insurance, trying to get that care. But it's something that so many people could really benefit from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And and um, I I always hope people come to me before they let the doctors take out a body part. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Did you ever read? Uh, you just you made me think of it when you were saying kind of the way that women get treated in in healthcare. Um. Did you ever read the book Doing Harm? No, I haven't heard of that. Oh, it's so good. I I read it uh, maybe like six months ago, and it's all about just the way the way women get treated in the medical system and and how their health problems tend to get brushed off. Um, and she, it's written by a journalist who has all of these different examples of you know a woman who ended up she had multiple heart attacks and she kept coming back to the emergency room and they kept telling her she was stressed and she should go home and they never checked her out for anything. You know, she had had like several small heart attacks before they actually finally like hooked her up and listened to her. So it's (laughs) so sad. It's, I know it's such, it's such a problem, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's really cool to see, um, you know, practitioners kind of outside of that traditional system coming in to fill in those gaps that really need to be filled in, where people need to, you know, learn about other ways that they can uh, intervene with their health problems, different ways that they can change things in their body. Um, So I just, I just think that all that stuff is really cool. Um, what kind of now I know you have quite a few resources on your website, um, but what kind of resources do you recommend to people when they're kind of starting down the path of understanding uh, the inflammation in their body and the ways to mitigate it? So one of the things I, I have is I have and I'd love to offer this to your listeners is I have a free seven-day kickstart course to remove inflammation from your body and start you down your journey for health. Nice. Yeah. So I can give you the link. And also, I'll just say it right here. It's um, a bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash E-Y kickstart. Perfect. Is that all lowercase? I know that bit.ly is case sensitive. It is all lowercase. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, no worries. Um Oh, that's cool. So, so that's kind of something where they can examine what they're doing in their lives and the ways that inflammation may be manifesting with, with the things that they're doing day to day. Well, it's more of a way that you, it's, I think it may be the next step 
And that's a really good assessment that maybe I would love to create that on my website is, Oh, well, there you you go. Do you have inflammation? Can you identify it? Um, But this is maybe the next step. So it's more of once you're aware that you have inflammation and that you are looking for a solution to start improving your health, maybe before making a huge commitment to work one-on-one with a practitioner, or maybe trying to figure out what it is, what direction you want to go in. And so this is seven days. You get seven emails and seven videos that direct you in ways that you can start improving your lifestyle and your environment so that you can start removing the toxins from your world and stop reacting to them. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, So outside of this kickstart, what other, what other advice do you have for people who might be hearing this and going, "Hmm, maybe that's, maybe that's something that I need to look into more. And maybe that's something that I should start asking questions about. Yes. So, um, that's a great question. I I am always open to having people come and reach out to me and and I offer every listener a complimentary naturopathic health assessment and we can talk about is there inflammation in your body. But you can also get started by looking through my blog. I think I have about a thousand blog posts and also all over my social media. I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Nice. So, okay, I have to ask you with this cookbook, what is your favorite one pot recipe? (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Um, My favorite recipe is the one that I have the ingredients for. Ah, tricky. I know. Um, (laughs) You see, I post recipes quite regularly on my social media and on my blog. And right now I'm really focused on what do I have around in the house? What do I have in my freezer and in my pantry that I can pull together to make a meal without needing to go to the grocery store? And the whole premise of the cookbook is that you can substitute anything or omit anything. So you can create every single recipe in that book can be the perfect recipe for your family. That's awesome. See, your I'm now I want to I really want to get this book um, because <laughs> I am totally the type of person who's like throw everything together and just make it up. Those are my favorite recipes. Like I am more of a roasted vegetables on a tray person. You know, like uh-huh. just roast a bunch of vegetables and then I'll put like arugula in the bottom. You know, put some goat cheese on top or whatever, and be like, "This is my meal." Um, <laughs> and and it's yeah, it's just whatever I have, whatever I have in the pantry, whatever I have in the fridge. Um, so I I love that approach to cooking. So it was a tricky answer, but it, I, it's probably the <laughs> same way that I would answer things as well. Uh, <laughs> so I totally honor that. <laughs> um, so I mean. So, you know, we're recording this while, you know, most people are still at least sometime mostly at home or maybe adjusting to a new normal, depending on where you are in, in the country or in the world. Um, I'm guessing that has changed some of the things that you've done, but um, what kind of, uh, are, are there any like remote virtual like retreats or speaking things that you've done in that time or besides your website, are there other places that people can find you on the internet? Oh, absolutely. In fact, this has been a super busy time for me doing so much speaking on virtual platforms. I've been in, I don't know, four or five summits this year. 
Um, I have been on, I don't even know how many podcasts, maybe 15 podcasts. So yes, and I try to, again, post everything that I can on my blog or on my and on my social media, I should say, and direct people to these events where they can hear me talk and, and um, hear what I have to say. Okay, cool. So if people follow you, they'll be able to figure out where to find you. I That's my goal for sure. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Oh my gosh. I had so much fun talking to you. I feel like I have a million more questions, but we're, we're getting to about 30 minutes, so we should probably wrap it up. Um, what kind of, do you have any like closing thoughts or advice or, or anything you want, you want to close with here? Yes. My, my closing advice is don't let anybody steal your future from you. There is hope and there is a lot you can do to improve your health and your body on your own. You don't need to wait for somebody else to give you permission or an expensive medication to do that. Awesome. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Elizabeth. This was so great. And like I said, I'll put all of the links and resources that we talked about in the description of the podcast so that so that everybody has uh, those resources available to them. Excellent. Well, thank you, Sammy. It was so much fun for me too. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Dairy Free State. And whenever you're listening to it, take care of yourselves, take care of each other and stay safe.